You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. We're back for another week. Round two is in the books. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, by Jake Michaels. Jake, how are you going? Excellent. Uh, great to have football back. It's been it's been a long time, long overdue, and uh, it looks like we've got a very exciting podcast today. Well, speaking of having things back, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, he's back on decks for us. Christian, welcome. How did you manage uh, in your job without 100 days of footy? I mean, you must have been going mad watching Old Vision. Yes, I was about to say, barely. Um, it was, it was hard, but uh, <laughs> yeah, finally, great to have footy back and um, yeah, everything's sort of back rolling to normal, so excited to be on back on the pod. And you might notice he hasn't spoken yet, uh, but Neil Seawang is out. He's laid out this week. Um, his wife has given birth to a lovely baby girl, Lana, and in his place as a late-in, Rowan Connolly. Welcome to the fold, Rowan. Uh, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, congratulations, uh, Neil, on the, uh, the bouncing bub. Always a huge occasion, but uh, great to be here. Um, great to have footy back. Great to have footy back. He'd be very happy that it was a Sunday morning berth. He still got to watch his demons almost lose to the Blues on Saturday. Um, but he'd be very happy. We're glad, we're glad he's not here, so uh, so we don't have to hear about it. Hugh <laughs> Carlton supporters in this room. Um, but you're right, boys. Footy's back. Normalcy's back. Uh, we're talking about upsets, the tribunal, the blowtorch on, on different clubs. Everything sort of seems right in the world after such a long sort of period of talking about other things, um, basically. And I want to whip around the room quickly. There's, there's so much to dissect and talk about. But um, I might start with you, Rowan, as, as the newbie in the group. What you might, uh, might have liked and disliked from round one? Um, look, I, I really liked uh, North Melbourne. Um, I, you know, it's only two games into the season, but both, you know, both wins have been super impressive. Um, they look like a much stronger defensive unit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, look, I mean, 17-game season, um, the rhythm of the season's obviously going to flow differently, and I think sides that get off to a good start are going to be so well set up. So, already, to me, it's looking like North's going to be a, a, a much better side than most people thought. Mm. And it is like? Um, well, we may touch on this later, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big one for simulated crowds. And I think uh, <laughs> it, it drove home to me round one that uh, if, you, if you can't get the real thing, don't bother trying to kid people you can. For sure, for sure. Oh, we, need Chris, to, we need to keep rowing on the, on the podcast. Uh, we're, we're speaking the same language here. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> um, Christian, you must have dissected uh, the numbers and watched a few games of footy on the weekend. What did you like and dislike from the first round back of footy? Yeah, I mean, pretty basic. Having footy backs, good. But I, one thing I I did like was, um, you know, started off as a dislike and a like. But after Thursday night's game, you know, everyone was smashing footy again, and how low scoring was. And again, you get a variety of games. You got to wait for the whole round to be played. There's nine games played. Some are exciting. Some are boring. Some are draws. Some are smashing. So. Uh, again, yeah, just good to have a complete round of footy back with, you know, upsets and, as we said, certainties. Uh, another thing I'm loving at the moment um, is the love that the AFL is getting uh, from the US, um, sort of noticing on Twitter and social media and things like that. Um, you know, growing up with footy and being a massive footy fan, take pride in sort of seeing that it's growing and people sort of taking love to a new sport over on the other side of the world. So it's good that uh, AFL's front and centre at the moment is one of the only sports being played. So it's, it's good a little- to see. Little plug for our what must be just a handful of uh, footy fans in the US that might listen to this podcast is that ESPN is now broadcasting uh, two games a week uh, on ESPN two and ESPN three. So ESPN is becoming the home of footy over there in the states. Jake, uh, anything to take away from uh, round two for you? Well, I think the uh, the thing I enjoyed seeing most, and I think everyone has, especially in the the current the current climate and current position of the world right now is to see all the players take a knee and uh, before all the games and, and everyone did it together. And it was, I guess it was just a really great thing to see. Um, you know, we're not, we're still seeing uh, some horrible racism at the moment. And uh, you look what happened to, to Eddie Betts over the weekend and, and to see all the players come together and basically say, we're not standing for this, this is unacceptable. was a great thing to see. Um, what I didn't like, uh, I, we, we might touch on them a little bit later, but tell you what, the Bulldogs. I think there were a lot of people really excited about the Doggies and you think they had that horrible first round game and they had three months in between or thereabouts. Wasn't much better. So um, I, I think you can sort of say, you can sort of look at the, the Saints and think they're just like North, they're, they're a little bit better than perhaps some people thought. But I think the Dogs, maybe they're not as good as a lot of people thought they were. So uh, 
Very interesting. Very important game this week uh, against the Giants. They don't want to start the season 0-3 in a, in a short year. Mm, we might touch on them a little bit later on. I think uh, you've sort of nailed the likes, but, but I'll throw in one. We, we will talk about these guys later as well as uh, Gold Coast. thought they were uh, magnificent against uh, a team that many thought would probably bully them, to be honest. Um, much older, more experienced outfit. Uh, and, and really, it was a second gamer who stood up and said, come on, boys, follow me. And, and they got away with... Uh, what was their first win in, I think it was 19 weeks, I think I, I saw. So, um, look, maybe the... the Probably about been... 52 weeks or something like that, but yeah, <laughs> when you 19 talk about games. Weeks, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's been a while, so we, we might touch on them in a bit greater detail later on. But what I didn't like, shortened games. I don't know, I just can't quite get around them. And I think that uh, 20 minutes and time on, it just it showcases the war of attrition that footy really is. Uh, and, and having these sort of shorter quarters, and you have players come out and say, yeah, it didn't feel like I played a full game and I've still got some, some something left in the tank. Um, I, I just don't know if... I mean, obviously it's going to happen for the rest of the year, but going forward, I'm, I'm really happy the AFL said that they're going to re-lengthen the quarters because yeah. it's a much better game that way. It feels a bit gimmicky, doesn't it? It feels a little AFLX, like shortened quarters. And, and I get that I'm not taking, taking the mickey out of the AFL, but I get they've got to make changes for this unusual year. But it does. It just There's something about it. You don't want players coming off. And, and as you say, it's all about that, you know, the brutality of a, of a full game. You don't want players coming out and just being like, you know, I could, I could play another quarter. You, know, you want it to be a proper contest. So uh, I'm with you 100% on that one. I'm just quickly, I'm, I'm a big conspiracy theorist, particularly when it comes to the media. And I couldn't help but notice that the only people sort of pushing for, oh, yeah, let's make this a permanent thing, seem to be people employed in the media by uh, the broadcasting Broadcast. networks. Uh, everyone else thought it absolutely stunk it up. So um, not, uh, not for the first time, the broadcasters appear to be out of step with the actual football public. Why do you think, Rowan, that they'd be wanting shorter games though, instead of longer games? Well, I, I sort of feel like it's off the back of that push last year to shorten half time. And yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to go against logic, doesn't it? You'd think you'd want more time, but they were very concerned late in the year that their TV audiences were dropping off after half time in one side of games and they couldn't get that up. So what's a way around that of keeping it? I, I guess with a shorter quarter, even where there's two disparate teams in terms of performance, the scores are likely to stay closer later mm. in the quarter, aren't they? So maybe that has the same impact um, as keeping people viewing the, bro the actual broadcast for longer. But, um, yeah, to me, I mean, game length is a, a fundamental um, part of, uh, of the game. And, uh, yeah, they really, whilst the COVID thing was such a, a threat and it, it looked like we might, sides might be playing three games in 10 days or whatever, absolutely, I understood it. But that doesn't appear to be the case now. The AFL's shown a preparedness to change rules on the run as they have with the sling tackle thing this week. Mm. So w why not? For now, at least, just go back to regulation times. That's how I feel about it. It's really interesting because uh, you, I'm struggling to think. There might be one, but I can't think one off the top of my head of a sport that has changed its uh, its actual length of game. Like you can change rules and everything around it, but what's another sport that's actually either shortened or extended their length of their game? Well, cricket. I mean, cricket, cricket, but that, <laughs> cricket, cricket have done it formats. I know, but they, look at the mess that's left them in. Yeah. Yeah. Three but, different but, not, but no one, no other, no other sports really going saying, okay, you know, this twelve-minute basketball quarter is too long. Let's cut to ten, or let's let's make it fourteen, or you know, the NFL or the NRL or, mm. or football. Like it's not really happening anywhere. Um, so yeah, to me, it's a little bit gimmicky, and I I, I can kind of see. What you're saying, then, Matt, I agree, but also Rowan. Yeah, the broadcasters seem to to want it um, to want it shorter, and who knows? Maybe they'll get it eventually. Mm. Well, um, well, we'll jump right into the agenda. Uh, we sort of touched on it before, but the the Sean Burgoyne fallout from his his sling tackle is is made the AFL move really quickly, um, which honestly I was surprised by how quickly they moved on this in saying that the thousand dollar fine uh, for a for Burgoyne's sling tackle on Paddy Dangerfield where he went headfirst into the turf wasn't good enough. Um, and Jake, you and I throughout the weekend, we were in contact saying that it wasn't good enough. And, and lo and behold, the AFL has come out really, really quickly uh, and said, no, it's not. And we're going we're gonna to change things so that players will more than likely face a week at least on the sidelines for, for dangerous tackles. And, and it seems like, to me, it's the way it should be. 
This is oh. a great call from the AFL because we've been critical in the last couple of years um, on the pod, well, on the podcast last year and writing for ESPN for the last few years that the AFL has been too cautious and 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 not wanting to actually come out and say this is wrong and change it um, to come out straight away so quickly and say no that that's that's not how it should be that should that you can't get away with it you know we we had that comparison to Will Setterfield uh, he's the two weeks uh, that he got for his tackle they're very similar um, and, and Bergwijn was very lucky uh, in that instance so it's just that Will Carroll got knocked I, out and and Paddy Dangerfield didn't there was yeah luck, but really. it's essentially the same thing hmm. yeah and oh, I've been I've, I've yeah. been I've always felt that they, the balance has tipped far too much uh, in favour of consequences of an action rather than intent. Um, mm. You know, it's a delicate balance, but I think sometimes someone can just be lucky they weren't seriously injured, and that was the case with Dangerfield. To me, it's the intent that it should always be slightly more important than the consequences. The other thing that the other thing that surprised me about it was that this um, circumstance hadn't already been covered off in the rules. And it, it basically wrote on the fact that he had an arm freak, correct? Mm. Um, and, you know, if you said you felt, I haven't seen the Setterfield example, but if you said you've dug that up and it was fairly similar, um, you know, why wasn't, why wasn't that contingency covered off when they framed the rule on the sling tackle? So the, the difference was that uh, Will Powell, who was tackled by Setterfield, didn't have an arm freak. But in the Dangerfield example, his arm oh. hit the ground after his head. So it's, it's almost like it didn't really make a, a difference anyway. And, and as you said before, it was almost just luck that Dangerfield wasn't, wasn't, as, wasn't injured. I mean, he's, he seems to have well, a pretty hard thing. head. You can have an arm free, but if your head's hitting the turf first, what does it matter? I mean, I, I, I think the point with this is that the AFL's basically said, yeah, this isn't right. And they've tried to rectify it straight away. And, and I think that's what they should be doing because we don't want to... The last thing you want is to say, okay, well, this is acceptable now, and then that becomes a part of the game. We don't want to see that. The, I mean, the, the most disappointing thing for me is, is the good bloke discount, you know? <laughs> I mean, we all love Sean, Sean Berger, and he's a fantastic player, and he's a terrific bloke. I've worked with him on TV shows and stuff, but um, that was wrong, and, and mm. it was potentially dangerous. And I think most of us sort of felt instinctively, oh, yeah, well, he should go, but you know what? It's silk, so yep. he probably won't. And that's not even to have a go at Michael Christian because I think sometimes it's a subconscious thing. There's just such a, yep. a reluctance to penalise someone if, if they're someone we all universally like. The I don't know how The commentary team did it straight away. The commentary team oh, said, yeah, they oh, did. yeah, oh, you know, oh, I don't think it was intentional, or oh, this, that, the other. It's like, yeah, mm, it's, it's like, um, it's like uh, who, who's the most universally respected player of all time? Oh, I'm Hodge. just trying to... Well, it's it, it, yeah, okay. So Luke Hodge takes a um, a Colt forty five out in the ground and shoots someone, and the commentators go, "Well, the guy should have been wearing body armor, surely." <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, you you can be a model citizen for twenty years, but if you go and rob a bank, you've still robbed a bank. Like, Correct. You know, you gotta you gotta face the consequences to it. Correct. We're getting a bit off topic, Christian. Let's get you involved because <laughs> I've been missing I've been missing your input from our podcast uh, the last week or two because um, we're not that great with stats. We'd love to be really good with stats, but your supercomputer is just out of this world. Um, and you would have taken a look at a few of the things that uh, that round two would have thrown at us. And I want you to to tell the listeners and tell us um, what you noticed that was different about things like these shortened quarters and and, and round two as a whole. Yeah. So obviously, with the shortened quarters, it's it's going to skew the numbers. The numbers are smaller. The differentials are smaller. You're not seeing, you know, as big a smashings um, across quarters. But one thing I did notice that sort of started in round one uh, happened until about the three Sunday games up in, in round two. But a lot of the scoring was done in the first quarter. So teams were going out, sort of playing attacking footy, uh, putting four or five goals on the scoreboard in the first quarter. Uh, and then teams that were winning were probably kicking maybe 50% of their score or less in the next three quarters. Um, and it sort of it happened it started the same way for the start of round two. Um, as I said, some of the Sunday games had some high scoring last quarters, but at the moment we're seeing sort of 20 points per game in the first, uh, first quarter, which is dropping down each quarter all the way to the final quarter, which is 13 and a half points per quarter. So shorter games, um, we all know how much coaches love to sort of bring in their tactics. I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, let's get the fast start and shut the game down in the second half. So... Um, is there a reason why we would see that? Because traditionally, it would 
I imagine it would be sort of the opposite, where the game opens up in the second half. Yeah, well, I've had a look at it. You know, if you go back previous years, there's not one quarter that stands out as always being the highest scoring. It, you know, just changes each year. But yeah, clearly, I, I think it is. It's just teams are getting a sort of a, a good lead, you know, a three or four goal lead, and that's probably easier to easier to uh, protect in 60 minutes of football rather than 90 or 100 minutes, which is what the next three quarters usually were. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, again, Sunday, we sort of saw uh, um, the game open up in the second half, so hopefully that continues going forward. That's a bit of a worry, isn't it, Christian? I mean, it depends what sort of game you like, but I would have thought, you know, we've long had this belief that the more fatigue sets in, the more scoring opens up. Now this could actually push it the other way because teams, you know, go like a hair out of the gate initially and then they use their very uh, refined defensive systems to lock down that lead. So it could actually have the completely opposite effect of what we've always expected of a game of footy when fatigue sets in. Yeah, well, yeah, it could. Yeah, exactly that. It could be slower in the second half because, yeah, one team sort of, you know, as the saying goes, parking the bus down one end and just trying to hold on. Um, and as I said, the, the less time there is, the easier it is to hold on for longer. Well, I mean, when so what you're saying is the Blues are going to be in strife because they can't seem to, to kick anything in the first quarter. Correct. I think, yeah, I think uh, that was thrown at me from one of my colleagues in the office under David Teague. Um, about eight of their games or so, they've been down by 30 points somewhere within that match. So they, they are getting sort of accustomed to giving up a big lead early and sort of fighting their way back. So I can't figure, I can't put my finger on the Blues and why that keeps happening, whether it's, yeah, the players. It's been of, a consistent yeah. theme ever since that, that Brisbane game last year. Correct. His first I, game in charge. Yeah, I felt like Bolton had it had as well going back a few years as well, where we just just missed the first 40 minutes of a game. And then from then on, we'd even it out. And I keep saying we, but Carlton would even it out or, you know, <laughs> win, win by a goal in the next three quarters, but we're already 10 goals behind. So, um, yeah, that's yeah definitely a sort of an ongoing trend with Carlton at the moment. That they're, I mean, they're but it goes to show that you can still get points from, from locking things down. I mean, the Pies didn't score a goal after the second half of the second quarter and still walked away with two points. The D's scored one goal after halftime and still walked away with the four points. So, I mean, you can still win ugly, and especially for a team like, like Melbourne, who probably came up against a side in Carlton where you'd think they'd probably be similarly spots, in similar spots on the ladder. I mean, for someone who's watched Carlton scrap along for so many years, uh, you can still win ugly and, and be happy with how your team's going, I suppose. Well, St Kilda did it for, you know, several years and almost won a flag out of it under Ross Lyon, didn't they? I've got to say just quickly that the fact that you can not lose a game, uh, sorry, not kick a goal in in an entire half of football and still not lose the game, that is just staggering. Against the Premiership favourite. Yeah. 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 Christian, uh, any, anything else that caught your eye from the from round two action? Uh, so one of the other things I probably noticed, and again, uh, quite early to tell, but maybe from the fitter players. Um, so looking at on the ball pressure, so the pressure factor on the ball, it was sort of high-ish this round. I mean, it was about the 11th highest round in the last two years. So, you know, slightly more than mid-table, nothing to write home about. But the end-to-end ball movement got really hard. So starting in your back 50 or back half and trying to get a goal or score or get it inside 50, um, was almost one of the lowest rounds we've seen in the last couple of years. So I think with the fitter players, we're actually seeing, and we saw it a lot with Collingwood, is instead of running at the ball carry and chasing the ball, just get 40 metres ahead. If Richmond have the ball, Collingwood getting 40, 50 metres ahead of them, as many players as they could, and sort of waiting there to sort of turn it over um, and you know make it impossible for Richmond to find a target inside 50. Um, so again, yeah, we were down usually about 9 to 10% of defensive 50 chains end in a score. We're about 6% this round, which, again, the numbers seem low, you know, 3 or 4% differential, but it is. It's, it's one of those numbers. It's always around 8 to 10.5%. It's really dropped um, this round. So, again, it, what people have got to remember is this is round two. So we have seen one round of shortened footy, uh, whether it was two months ago or three months ago, and it wasn't that low then. So it was a round two thing. Um, so just something to keep an eye on, whether that was just a one-off or whether that is something that um, we sort of see coming into the game where, yeah, a lot of teams are sort of just, again, playing that 80-man defence, 40, 50-metre zones, you know, ahead of the ball. Um, I'd, I'd suggest that, you know, the AFL, um, what do they call? They change their committee names every five seconds. <laughs> but the guys, that, the guys that look at trends in the game, I reckon that's probably the stat they're, they're looking closest at. I know just from an aesthetic point of view, 
I reckon the best thing in footy is end-to-end football, transition football. You know, my favourite game of all time is the 94 preliminary final. You've never seen a game that swings end-to-end as quickly and as often as that one. And I think, you know, if that figure goes down and down and all we're seeing are turnover goals in someone's 50, it, it really takes away one of the best advertisements for our game. So, you know, I reckon that's one. I'll, I'll certainly be pretty concerned if that percentage figure, Christian, keeps yeah. you know, I'm surprised. So I remember looking at it last year, and if you go back to about uh, 2002, 2003, the early 2000s when Champion Data first started, going from defensive 50 into 50 was about 35% success rate. Hmm. So when people talk about how much footy was it, and, you know, it would have been even slightly higher probably in the 90s. It was. It was because of that end-to-end footy, those 60-metre long kicks to the locket, Dunstall, Ablets, and, you know, a lot of end-to-end stuff. Um, but yeah, slowly that's dropped, and as I said, we're down to about you know twenty odd percent of going end to end now. Um, but you know, it was down quite low this round. So I think when people sort of talk about how the game was better back in the day, that's one number I always sort of come across and go, well, it was. It was actually so much more end to end stuff that the, the ball wasn't sort of getting clogged up in the midfield, um, you know, and going out of bounds ten times between each inside fifty um, across the game. So yeah, there's, there's some of the things I noticed from this not, round. Not that I'm an advocate of. Do a, you know the AFL changing rules every year to sort of you know fix the game, quote unquote. Um, but you just sort of wonder how they're going to try and evolve the, the game in, in a way to sort of combat that because it would seem like I'm just sort of having a quick thing now. The only way to really do that is to sort of say, well, six 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 becomes more permanent, or midfielders can't drop back in, into the into the, the back fifty as often, or the that's got to be the only way that I can sort of see that happening because at the moment, if players are allowed to roam free and they're fitter than they've ever been before and quarters are shorter this year, um, they're, gonna, they're just going to run back and drop in the hole. I, I was a big fan of 666 at every stoppage until I sort of thought about the mechanics of it and it would actually end up, it would be far too stop-start. I'm actually now of the view that the only way we're going to see meaningful change in terms of not only what we're talking about now but scoring is going to 16 aside. And I'm a lot older than you guys. I saw it at play in the old VFA days with no wingman. And, gee, you used to get some high scores and some high possession tallies. But it always guaranteed a very open game. I, th- I really think now that's the only way we're going to see meaningful change. And that means it's not going to happen. There's no way we're, go- well, there's no way we're going to have 16 aside. I don't think the Players Association had come at it. The players won't. Uh, I think there'll be enormous resistance from the public. So I think the sort of footy we've got now is what pretty much what we're stuck with. Unfortunately, we still see enough decent games among that. Hey, Christian, one other thing I had, a question without notice about the, the weekend, and probably yeah. something looking forward as well, <laughs> is um, with no crowds or very little crowds, very few crowds, are we expecting the home ground advantage to sort of be taken away a little bit? We obviously saw you know, North go up to to Sydney and win, and we saw uh, the Bombers go up to Sydney and win. Uh, I su- suspect that this might be a bit of a trend throughout the rest of this year, assuming that we, we see no crowds return. Yeah, so it's probably, I mean, very early to tell at the moment, but we did discuss this again within the office um, probably before round two was played, but it's an ongoing study for the last 30, 40 years. What is home ground advantage? Is it is it the field that you're playing on? Is it because you're sleeping in your own bed? Is it the umpire getting or referees or whatever the sport is getting biased towards home crowd there's so many factors in what a home ground advantage is um mm. i mean yeah i'm sure i'm sure there'll be lots written and speculated about and it'll be interesting to see but um yeah hard to tell after one round especially when you've got um you know west coast and gold coast uh, west coast and frio playing in hubs up in up there and um as you said that yeah it's 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 one of the factors of a home ground advantage is the crowd, but we, we just, we don't know how much that is and how much, you know, is, is the crowd being taken away? I mean, the umpire is going to be more fair. So therefore it's balanced out that the home ground advantage mm. come down a little bit because you don't have the 50,000 Optus stadium, you know, crowd <laughs> impacting the West coast umpires or anything like that. But um, yeah, studies have been done for years and years and years. And I'm sure this, this season of footy, or as long as we don't have crowds, will be a good sort of uh, sample size to sort, sort of run some numbers. I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm sort of getting the feeling Geelong now will entrench its position as the, the most significant advantage purely because of the dimensions of the ground. You take, you'd, you'd take, yeah, you take out the crowd and that leaves the shape of the ground and they've got the most um, yeah. unique shaped ground in the competition. 
And they're mate, they're obviously uh, twenty points better that GMHBA than the MCG over the last five years. But even their accuracy, their accuracy is like ten percent better or something. And the opposition always misses at GMHBA. Geelong don't miss. They've it all works in their favour as many games they can get down there. Uh, They've mastered you know, off Bryo Bay. To that point, though, would a team like Gold Coast be well served to change the dimensions of Metricon Stadium? You know. Because we always talk, we've been talking about this for years, about Geelong's advantage of their narrow ground. Yet, no one else seems to have any sort of benefit to their own. No one has any other advantage. Why well, wouldn't would Gold Coast not change the dimensions of their ground to find their own unique advantage? It's, it's a good point, Jake, that it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because Geelong's finals history would suggest that that is such an advantage for them that it actually leaves them disadvantage when they have to play on a ground that everyone plays on. And the sides, look at West Coast winning the flag in 2018, Optus Stadium dimensions almost mirror those of the MCG. Mm. So the trend is more to try to replicate what you're going to have to win finals on. Essendon does that with one of its training grounds. You know, they've got one MCG size and one Marvel size. So... Um, it's a, what's the word? Is it a catch-22? Like, yes. do you do you try and, you know, ensure you win enough home games to be in a position to qualify, but at the same time risk your familiarity with the grounds you have to mm. win a flag on? You know, it's a fascinating question, actually. Who knows? They might be they might be playing some uh, some finals down there this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to change any dimensions. They got Matt Rowe. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on him later as well. Um, we kind of uh, mentioned those teams before the, the two teams that flew up to Sydney and, and, and won. The, the whole fly in fly out conundrum to me is a fascinating one because these two teams would have to have the players would have to have woken up at about four thirty to get to the club to get to the airport on time to get up to Sydney, then sit around in a hotel lobby or, or in, a, in, a, in the sheds or something before playing and then jumping back on a plane within a couple of hours. I mean, the COVID sort of thrown a few curveballs, but flying in and flying out and both teams, North over the Giants and the Bombers over the Swans, tick, tick. Is this something we can sort of see happening a bit more in the future uh, instead of sort of staying a, a night or two over uh, interstate? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it... It tends to be a bit of a sheep mentality, these things. You know, I reckon I've written over my years about half a dozen pieces about different formulas for going flying to Perth. And, you know, the day before or two days before or six weeks before or something, you know. But, and, and, and if one works, people tend to copy it. But personally, I, I would have thought, I don't know. I mean, it really comes down to the individual, doesn't it? But I, 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 would, I would have thought you're better off staying at home uh, if it's a Melbourne to Sydney trip or Adelaide to Melbourne or something like that, um, there's probably as much to be gained by being in familiar territory um, as late as you can before a very short plane flight, which isn't really going to have any pronounced effect on your physical condition. Mm. I mean, the sports, the sports science guys are, well, they're supposedly right across this, but then we keep chopping and changing, don't we? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the, the your game time as well. I mean, you know, if you're playing late at night, you you have to stay. And if you're playing, if you're playing a one the one p.m. game or the one ten start in in Brisbane, as you're flying up from Melbourne, you, you can't go up that morning. So, I mean, it depends a lot on that, and obviously the fixturing then then sort of plays a big part. But as you say, Rowan, going to Perth, I mean, you just you can't, you can't go and come back in the same day. It's impossible to do. So. Um, I don't know. I, I think it was a bit, this weekend might have just been a little, we don't often see, you know, we don't really see two teams going up uh, to play in Sydney in the same day and coming back. But I don't know. I, I just think, look, if they if they both lost, we wouldn't even be talking about it. I just, I think you could make the argument about the fly, fly in, fly out. You could make the argument about, like I said before, about the home ground, but potentially giving the away team a little bit of an advantage. Or you could just say, you know what? North and Essendon were just better teams on the day. <laughs> I, I don't go. know if we can read too much into it. I can tell you who the happiest people after both those sides one would have been, the flight attendants on that oh, flight home. <laughs> you wouldn't want to put up with, uh, you know, how many? 40-odd uh, grumpy uh, uh, losing footballers. How, um, it was how funny to see them on the same plane, though, wasn't it? Split down the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very funny. Um, there we go. Uh, Christian, Champion Data doesn't keep track of uh, flights in and out, do they, of, of teams and what they do during the week? <laughs> No, we don't. <laughs> All right, um, let's move on. We've got a, a new mini segment we're going to try this week 
called Justified Hype or Hyperbole. Uh, basically, we're going to sort of whip around the room asking a couple of questions and, and I want you guys to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm just speaking in hyperbole. And the first one is the Bulldogs are going to miss the finals. You can start with Jake, maybe. Ah, I would love to answer this after after the game against the Giants, mm. but uh, no, I think I think that's a bit of hyperbole. I, I I still think the Dogs will make finals. Any particular reason why? What have you seen from them in the first two rounds? That... Well, I think we know what the Dogs are. Look, they've had two really poor games, but it's not like they've had two poor games in consecutive weeks. You know, it's very hard to get a read on on a team when you when you got such a such a big gap. So I'll give them another week. I'll see what they do against the Giants, and then I'll probably reassess there. But yeah, as we've said numerous times, you don't do not want to be starting a shortened season zero and three. I don't know who they've got round four off the top of my head, but uh, you certainly wouldn't want to be going into your round four match. Uh, Oh, and three. Yeah, they got they got Sydney up in Sydney. In so. Christian, now uh, while we've got you, what do you, what do you think of, of the dogs? Anything that sort of the numbers jump out and tell you something? Well, very much in Jake's camp. I think it's a bit early to tell. They, the one for me was the, um, the the team selection. They made a lot of changes from round one to two. Left a lot of surprising names out. Obviously, um, Lockie Hunter out with suspension. Uh, they didn't pick Toby McLean. I think Liberatore might have been fit as well. Um, so interesting. It just seems like the Luke Beveridge is tinkering, trying to find the right exact side. But as you say, Jake, they've got to get it right quicker than other. Yeah, you can't tinker for too long. That's the problem. Later, yeah. but I, I still confident that they'll they'll be in, in with a shot against GWS this week. Rowan zero and two. Too hard to come back from or not? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm with the other guys. I think, I mean, look, clearly it ups the ante in terms of desperation for a win. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was quite bullish about them pre-season, pardon the pun. Um, one thing, uh, I don't know if Christian has a comment on this, but I noticed this morning um, they had a lot more handballs and kicks the doggies against St Kilda. Now, uh, I'm not sure how symptomatic that is of the way they play their footy. Oh, they do use handball a lot, don't they? But that just makes it seem to me a bit of a technical issue. Sometimes you see a team losing, but you you look at the numbers and, geez, they've had enough of the ball. If they just tinker with this and get this right, they might be okay. So the round one loss was an absolute Barry Crocker. Don't make no mistake about that. I didn't feel like this one was quite as bad and I still think there's enough natural talent there for them for beverage to sort of get those systems better and have them turn it around pretty quickly they are playing pretty fast footy in other words yeah they've got the lowest kick to handball ratio of any size for lots of use of hands and playing on from a mark the second most so it is that they don't want to get it moving quickly yeah. uh, I'll buck the trend because I think they lose next week and if if they're zero and three just numbers would suggest there are too many teams that are going to be better that are, that are going to keep the dogs out. So I might, um, I might write that down and, and remember that later in the year if it happens to be true. Uh, moving on, North Melbourne, uh, probably arguably the win of the round last week. I mean, apart from maybe the Gold Coast Suns, but um, that was an impressive victory over the Giants. And, and the question is, are they ready to sort of push into the top six, top four of the competition this year? Jake? Well, top four, top, even top six, I think, when you you can write down, I think I can comfortably write down six teams that are better than North today. But from what I've seen in the first two rounds, and again, it's it's even more impressive given the gap that we've seen between round one and round two, they've been able to carry it through. Uh, they can certainly challenge for the top eight this year. There's no reason why they can't. Um, and would I be surprised if they finished sixth or seventh? No, I wouldn't at all. So um, they've. I didn't have them in the top eight this year. Um, I don't know many people that that would have been confident in that. But um, we saw last year the, the Reese Shaw impact and he's they're, they're playing really well already this year. That's what Absolutely. I was going to say. More than two rounds when you look at North, Reese Shaw has had an enormous impact on, you know, their turnover game, their ability to sort of fix all the problems. Not that, you know, they had a lot of problems under Brad Scott, but anything that needed fixing, he sort of corrected, um, sort of built that game around, yeah, being able to score off turnovers and... Um, as I said, yeah, just the uh, stoppage work as well has gotten a bit better. So it's probably, you know, what, 12, 10, 12 games now of impressive North footy. So even if they're not in the top six, they, they can match it with the top six. You know, they can they can match it with Richmond on their day, on their best day, whether they finish amongst the top six, I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd 
I'd agree. Again, sorry to you need someone to object <laughs> to one of those, don't you? But um, look, I, I think they're definitely top eight material, but top four would be a stretch just given the natural talent that exists at Richmond, Collingwood, uh, GWS, and Geelong. Probably your top four in terms of talent. I would have thought. Um, really like what they're doing though. Uh, it'd be great to see too, wouldn't it? To um, to see a side that is able to fix up its systems, you know, and, and really achieve something even with personnel you didn't think were quite in the same ballpark as other teams. Although that can change too, can't it? You know, I mean, we we often wag a year or so behind the um, the reality with our, um, our sort of uh, impressions of someone, don't we? It takes us a little while to catch on to when someone's actually doing pretty well. Someone's made that leap from being, you know, a serviceable player to a really, really good player. Mm-hmm. That's often what drives a, a rapid improvement in a team year to year. And, and maybe North will be one of them. You know, maybe the Simpkins and, the, and Dumonts and these sorts of guys have gone to another level. Yeah, I agree. And I think another one is, is down forward. They're a bit more dynamic with someone like Cam Zerha kicking three goals. I mean, he showed excellent signs last year of, of becoming that sort of bullocking forward that can have a bit of presence in a forward line that the, the sort of presence that Ben Brown doesn't have. I, mean, I know that Brown's quite a tall, lanky fellow, but he doesn't have that bullocking kind of um, mentality about him. And, and Zerha is kind of the player that can really complement that. Um, he's great. He's great. He looks like he looks like he should be full forward for Oak Park under 15s <laughs> or something. You know, it just sort of gives you hope that to be a, a great AFL footballer, you don't have to have the perfect athletic body shape or hairdo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly right. Um, and I think yeah, they don't have the household names, North Melbourne. But I think they got that exactly what we're sort of saying. They got that right balance. So you got Simkin, you got Cunnington, who's one of you know, if not the best inside midfielder around the stoppages. Simkin starting to work in there. Uh, then, you know, their pickups of Pittard, Pollock on the outside now, um, Zohar up forward, and, you know, they've got numerous, numerous uh, players that they can sort of roll through their defence that, you know, they've got talls and smalls that can cover everybody. So Higgins is pretty handy as well. Not a straight-out star, but, yeah, they've got, they're sort of building a, a very balanced team. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, finals isn't beyond it. And uh, like Jake said, uh, finishing sixth, maybe fifth, it wouldn't surprise me at this stage, but again, it's a long year and, and we're sort of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves perhaps. Um, moving on, uh, the next question, justified hype or hyperbole, the Suns are currently a better side than Carlton. Jake? Uh, I think that's... Mm, I don't want to be on the fence, but I'm going to say it's justified. I, I don't like what I've seen from Carlton so far this this year and I really don't like the massive we've spoken about it before i don't want to turn this into a carlton podcast but if you just, if you weren't watch didn't watch football and you switched on in the second half and watched the blues in most of these games under teague where they've come storming back you think this side's a top eight side this side's playing finals and then if you watch their first half you'd, you'd be confident in saying this is the worst team in the competition so I, while I don't, I wouldn't be surprised, I'm not saying Carlton's going to win the spoon or I'm not going to say that Gold Coast will finish off the bottom. But at the moment, if the two teams were playing tomorrow, I would not be surprised if Gold Coast won and I'd probably take Gold Coast, especially if it was up there. Christian? Uh, So, You're a Carlton man. No, well, it's not a Carlton point of view, but short memories. Gold Coast scored 29 points against Port Adelaide in round one. So, yeah, they had a great round two game. I worked on it. I love what they did. As I said, mentioned Matthew Rowell. I think one of the most underrated pickups this year will be Hugh Greenwood. Uh, he was outstanding as well, and he's exactly what they need. Uh, they, they were very, very good. Again, go back to their round one game, and it was um, after, you know, a, a big off-season and... Um, couple of, you know, performances in the marsh. They were terrible against Port Adelaide in round one. So another one is West Coast record at Metricon. Don't know what it is. They've only played four times there. One win, one draw, two losses. That They, they don't handle that ground well. We know, uh, we've spoken about it last year on the podcast, they love to kick and mark, um, sort of play, you know, a sort of aerial game, keep the ball off the ground. Very, very dewy at Metricon, very slippery. Um, not a lot of teams go up there and take 100 marks in a game. I think West Coast magic number's about 91. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of a hub for West Coast, interesting choice because it's probably the ground they least desire, especially on a, a, a night game at Metricon. Um, but, yeah, as I said, don't want to take anything away from Gold Coast performance this week. They were great. Uh, what I commented on on the night was they had they looked like they had all three lines sort of 
personnel in all three lines worked out. I like Connor Buderick behind the ball as a sort of little backman. Um, Charlie Ballard was good. And then you got, as I said, Rao uh, Greenwood through the midfield. But yeah, again, one game out of two so far for Gold Coast. So I'll still have uh, Carlton slightly ahead. Hyperbole for now, Rowan. Uh, what he said. Um, <laughs> no, no I, I was going to make that point too. West Coast stinking up on the Gold Coast regularly. Uh, Gold Coast were pretty ordinary round one. And uh, what Jake said, if you only watch the second half of Carlton's games, you think, geez, they're not bad, these guys. And don't forget, I mean, they, geez, they, I mean, round one's a long time ago, but they gave up a, a, a 50 point lead. pretty recent. Yeah, well, in, in round one against Richmond, you know, they, they gave Richmond some pretty anxious moments as well. So mm. I just think, again, I look at them and I don't know if it's fixing up technical deficiencies for them as much as setting the alarm clock about half an hour earlier each day. But um, I, I would still have Carlton well ahead of Gold Coast at this stage. Uh, another, another, another question you have next week, mate, after this week's game, it might be more interesting, is whether where's Adelaide and Gold Coast at? Yes. Yeah. It'll be an interesting game this round because yeah, Adelaide hasn't looked good so far. Yeah, must watch much much yeah. must watch footy. My goodness, it's been a while. Uh, and the last question in this little segment, uh, Christian, I might start with you on this one. Matt Rowell will be the best player in the competition, and I want to I want you to sort of tell me what you know about Matt Rowell from his very small sample size. Um. So yeah, I'll, I'll, he'll be one of the best players in the competition, no doubt. Um, some of his junior stuff, one of the best contested ball winners we've ever seen throughout his junior career. Uh, but if you look at his first two games, and in terms of, again, just using a, a nice, easy number to use, rank, ranking points, champion data ranking points, the only player to sort of match him in the first two games uh, as a recruit is Michael Barlow. Um, so if you remember Michael Barlow, he came in after with five years, I think, of VFL experience or senior footy experience under his belt. Uh, came into a pretty good Frio side and slotted straight into the midfield. It was good for two games. Matthew Rowles is 18-year-old boy in a 23-year-old body playing like a 23-year-old. So, um, you know, he didn't get spoken about a lot in round one, but had a very solid game. And round two was, yeah, probably one of the best, uh, you know, second game we've ever seen in a, in a long time. So, You're right in that he just has a man's body already. You look at his arms and his shoulders and the way he sort of stood up in a few tackles. Um, what was most noticeable for me was just, he was just, his eyes were level the entire time. He wasn't getting thrown around. He wasn't falling to the ground in these tackles. He was, his eyes were level and he was still getting hand passes out and, and helping teammates set up play down the field. And just a good user. And, and what was it? 26 touches, 14 contested, seven tackles and two goals. Like that is, that's three votes worthy. That is. Yeah. It's, it's the body as much as the talent, isn't it? Because even, I mean, Sam Walsh, absolutely terrific last year, but perhaps he might've been a little bit better still had he more of a, uh, our seasoned AFL physique, whereas this guy has that body already or appears to have. And it, it made me think immediately of Chris Judd. And then going back a lot further, but further than I'd care to admit, uh, it made me think of a, a debuting Tim Watson for Essendon. You know, he famously debuted at 15, but he had the body of a, a guy who played league footy. You know, he was a man-child. And, and that, that physical uh, build, the importance of that can't be underestimated, I reckon. So I think um, there may be, you know, debates or talk in years. I think Raul and Walsh will always be compared closely together, being, you know, consecutive top one picks. But I think, yeah, correct. They're two totally different players. I think with Sam Walsh, one thing that we haven't seen starting to come out a little bit more is the GPS numbers of players. His numbers for, his running um, numbers for a first-year player are off the chart. So he's going to be one of those players that can run out a game probably better than, you know, in four or five years' time. He's probably going to be the number one runner in the competition as well as being that you know the ability to find the ball as an inside midfielder but you'll be right that they'll always be compared but there'll be two totally different players Rao's going to be that contested possession beast that you're going to notice and um, have blokes hanging off him whereas Sam Walsh is probably going to be that one of those guys who just keeps getting to contest after contest after contest um, so yeah it, it, two exciting number one draft picks to watch for the next 10-15 years Jake anything to add to that? Well, it's a it is an interesting point because it's it's not often you get two consecutive number one picks that are reasonably comfortably. I mean, we've only seen two games this year so far, but if if it continues on the way we imagine, you know, we're going to have two guys in a row that have just been utterly dominant in their first year, the top picks. So um, they are different players. I guess the question is, who would you rather right now? You know. It's very early, but who would you rather? If you could have one of them in your team right now, who would you take? And I, and I think the answer is 
yeah, one of each. But but I think what Raul does in the middle at such a young age, as Rowan said, it's it's Chris Judd like. Um, and I'm going to make a big call now. I, I think he will win a Brownlow medal in his career. Justified that in the in the. T- Put that in the time capsule. I reckon he will win a Brownlow medal. Which year is he winning it? Because you've already penciled in the next three Brownlows, Jake. No, I haven't. I've, I've, I've given. <laughs> Who, a who's few. winning? Who's winning them, Jake? The next three. Oh, it's difficult to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Where's Lockie no, Neal getting one before Matt Rowe? No, no, Lockie Neal's not winning one anymore. No, um, I, I did say last year that James Warple would be would be in with a shot in the next couple of years, and I still stand, stand with that. But yeah, okay. um, Jim, guy... that's the, that's the first mention of Hawthorne this whole podcast. I was just thinking, isn't it amazing to be doing some footy media stuff and not have at least one Hawthorne supporter among among the mix? No, that's true. <laughs> we did touch on uh, Burgoyne though, so we've we've kept our Hawthorne fans. Oh, yeah, true, true. Uh, but yeah, uh, w- look, we won't we won't keep pumping uh, pumping him up. But what he did in that game was incredible. And if you think, well, he's producing that in in game number two, as we yeah. said throughout uh, throughout Matt Walsh's first season. What's he going to be, Matt Walsh's first Matt Walsh. season? Thank you very uh, much, Sam Walsh's first season. <laughs> what is he going to be doing in twenty games, fifty games? So so what's Rao going to be doing in twenty games, fifty games? Rao? And that is really exciting because you can make the case that. Not even, and again, we don't want to get too carried away because it has only been two games. But even some of the greats haven't shown that ability so early on in their career. So it's really exciting. Excellent, excellent. Hey, before we wrap things up for the round two a podcast, I do want to ask Jake and Rowan. I know that Jake uh, normally has a a, um, a segment on this podcast where he, where he likes to get on a rant. Uh, and you've both come to me in this pre-podcast meeting with very similar ideas about what you really, really, really didn't like from the first round of footy. And I've got one word for, uh, two words for you: crowd noise. What do we think? Uh, should I go first, or you yeah, want to go, go for it? it. Uh, I, I hated it. <laughs> I, I just thought, for a number of reasons, didn't sound like a real crowd. Um, it sounded to me, maybe I've gone deaf playing too much loud music or something, but it sounded to me like waves breaking on a beach. Um, the sinking of it was totally out. So there'd be, they'd let go a, a roar for something, but two seconds too late. So you actually heard the roar when a guy's slipping off a routine handball or something. The noises were, the, the, the decibel volume uh, differed greatly from Thursday to Friday for no apparent reason. Um, it, it just didn't. I wouldn't have thought it would have been too hard to just get some audio tracks from previous games from a variety of crowd sizes to replicate what you would expect the crowd size to be at the equivalent game this year. But it seems like uh, that was all a bit too logical and sensible. So they just sent the work experience kid with a pissy old tape recorder down to the beach and said, "Here, take the waves for five minutes." And maybe they sent them to. Brighton and Elwood and Sandringham to try and get all the various grants. Uh, they went to the beaches instead. No need for it. And it was shown up to be as stupid as it sounded in the first place when we heard an actual real crowd at the showdown game of 2000. They did actually yell out ball and they did mm. cheer in the right places. And it just made it seem even more fake. So we're not stupid. You can't protect, you can't uh, sort of subvert reality. Don't try. I mean, if you're going to try, it has to be vaguely realistic. It wasn't re- realistic. Stop trying. Jake, you've got some stiff competition for this segment going forward. Well, I don't know what else I can really say. He nailed it. Um, it's it's right. I don't know why we're pretending that that uh, that we have people at these grounds. We all know we do, and we all know it's it's temporary. It's not going to be forever. We're going to have people back there. We've been saying for weeks that the, that, I, that, we sh- that they shouldn't do it, that it's not necessary. They obviously did it. Wasn't great. Didn't really land for me. Uh, obviously didn't land for Rowan. And the other thing I didn't particularly care for was um, the graphics that they had sitting over the the uh, the grandstands that just had like the Collingwood logo on it and the Richmond logo and things like that. It just and they would move Tacky. slightly with the. With, it just it was it was tacky and it was just, it brought back memories of the old. Um, you know, Amy Stadium when they when they used to have the big, you know, the big banners there. So I hated it to be honest. I, I don't see why they need to do it. Just embrace what we have at the moment, and we'll be back to 
back to you know what we're used to soon enough don't try and make it you know again i go back to the word gimm- it's very gimmicky it's very aflx um this is showing my age rowan but it reminded me those um those fake banners of afl live 2004 on the ps2 so <laughs> that was my childhood yeah, okay. I'm I'm more a a pong man. I'm sort of my video my video game experience is definitely sort of circa 1970s. <laughs> Very good. Hey, um, before we wrap it up, I just want to go around the room really quickly. Uh, an upset and a certainty. Uh, the Footy Tips app. You can tip to your heart's content now. All the all the rounds have been loaded that we have, uh, and that'll be updated as the year goes by. But guys, a really quick uh, upset and certainty from each of you. Uh, I'll kick us off. Certainly, I think the Cats down at Cadinia Park are just going to be hard to beat. And um, they're playing a team that, that doesn't start well in Carlton. I think that they're certainly to win this week. Uh, and my upset is going to be the Saints against the Pies. Saints ran the Pies pretty close last year um, and looked really good at times and, and looked really good against the Dogs. And I think, I don't know, they might get the job done against Collingwood. I'm going to say, uh, as far as a certainty goes, I think Port is going to just be all over uh, Frio, they've, they've looked really good. In, I know they haven't had much competition, but Ports looked really good in the first couple of games. Uh, and, and we're just seeing more and more improvement from those young guys that we were raving about last year. Uh, in terms of an upset, I know we've been banging on them a little bit, but I think that a lot has to be taken into consideration when it's a do-or-die game. And, and it is a do-or-die game for, for the Dogs now. They really need to win this. The Giants didn't look particularly great last week. And uh, as an outsider, I think the Dogs, I, I give them a chance. Uh, as an outsider to win that? My, my certainty is probably Richmond. Uh, Thursday night, just restricted and frustrated by Collingwood. Um, last week, I think we'll see Richmond really open up and um, might enjoy this game a bit more. Will uh, they kick 100 points? Sorry? Will they kick 100 points? I think they will. I think, uh, well, let's hope so. I, think, I, just, I just feel like Richmond might yeah, bring some blistering footy uh, this round. Uh, my upset, same as you, Matt. St Kilda to uh, beat Collingwood. I think they're in with a really good chance. Right, my um, my certainty is the Cats against the Blues. We talked about that home ground advantage. Um, I've got yeah. You guys have mentioned all my potential upsets, but uh, I disagree with you, Jake. I think Frio has been pretty impressive without getting the points. And so I think if if indeed being in Perth it is considered an upset, I think that's a potential one. And another one, I'm going out in a bit of a whim here, given the form, but um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Bulldogs turn it around and beat GWS. Yeah, there we go. Well, food for thought, because my tips weren't very good in round two. I've got a thing. I think I've got five out of nine. So I'm not too sure if anyone else did too much better, though. It was a bit of a, a wacky round, all things considered. Um, we might leave it there for this week, gents. Uh, Christian, good to have you back. Uh, your input is is extremely valuable and, and we're very lucky to have you. And Rowan, thanks for stepping in at short notice for Neil. Um, we'll speak with you guys both next week. Uh, Jake, good to have you. And, and we'll speak to you in the next week on the uh, ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.